And now we're blessed to have our first message brought to us by Mr. Reg Noland. It's, um, I'm so tempted to do my James Bond accent here, but I probably won't. Stirred, not shaken, passion and courage in the Christian life. Uh, a couple of months ago, we had an incident occurred at our praise and worship uh, practice that gave me insight onto the nature of the people that God calls out of the world into this way. We were discussing whether or not to work on a particular song, I've even forgotten which song it was, as a possible addition to our repertoire. Each of us had an opinion uh, on the song. All the opinions were different, and apparently none of the opinions were wrong because none of them changed. No one convinced anyone of anything. Truly, uh, we may agree to perform music, as we do here, in a certain way for the music's sake, for unity and for harmony, but I doubt that there was any real convincing that ever took place. I really doubt that ever occurs. Um, later that night, as I was driving home, I reflected back upon what had happened and realized that the attitudes that I witnessed were characteristic not only of the members of the praise and worship team, but also of all the members of God's congregation. We are a stubborn lot. Hard-headed, stiff-necked, opinionated, obstinate, headstrong, and not easily moved from our well-established positions. Apparently, God likes stubborn people, or at least that's the kind of people that he attracts. We have to be hard-headed in order to stand up against the contrary opinions and the, uh, the, and the attacks of the Catholics, the Protestants, the atheists, the polytheistic religions. Our opinions are the result of considerable study and prayer and reflection so that once we have reached a conclusion, we are re very reticent to change it. Unlike the opinions of our adversaries founded upon church traditions, upon pa papal edicts, uh, stories from Sunday school teachers blissfully and ignorantly perpetuating the lies that they've been told, that they've been learned without proof. Rather, we follow Paul's advice, insisting upon proof text for any assertion. Okay, First uh, Thessalonians 5.21. This is, this is one of my favorite scriptures, so much so that I've got a, a tagline on my signature uh, for my email. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Consequently, we are not moved, not shaken by apparent, apparent contradictory evidence, but we stand firm in the knowledge that we have gained through study. Our approach to faith is, to my way of thinking, rather mathematical. Rather mathematical. Indeed, it is axiomatic, arising from fundamental principles and postulates into the theorems of belief uh, instead of from the blind trust in the teaching of our leaders. My message today is essentially uh, an additional two qualities, passion and courage, that could have been included in our pathway to Pentecost Bible study, and is, and is a study into two of the several meanings of the concept of being moved. There are many meanings of the word, uh, to the idea of being moved. But these two are being stirred to action or to be uh, being shaken. Both of those are the meanings of the word uh, of to move. I am, uh, I assert that to be part of this way, we need to be the exact opposite of a James Bond martini. 
Instead of being shaken, not stirred, we need to be stirred, not shaken. We are indeed a stiff-necked, stubborn, obstinate, determined people, headstrong, with willful and, uh, and, and clearly the descendants of our Israelite ancestors. Although people with this quality do seem to be the ones that are drawn into this way, God does not necessarily look upon this quality um, with, uh, with pride, uh, positively. Rather, this evaluation is always delivered as a criticism of God's people. Um, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, a criticism of people from deliverance from the bondage all the way through the years of glory in the kingdom to the misery of the captivity into the early years of Christianity and to the end into the dysphoria that follows. Let's take a look at some of, uh, some of the attitudes that God has toward these stiff-necked people. Exodus 34, verses 8 and 9. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord pray, Go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. In Deuteronomy 10, uh, 15 and 17, uh, 15 through 17. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all people, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise uh, the foreskin of your heart, and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of God and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, the one who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. So, as you see here, this is a negative uh, attitude that we're witnessing here and God is saying do not be stiff-necked any longer but not stiff-necked against him and we're going to see here what we need to do is to be stubborn for him if you will uh, second chronicles 38 now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were but <clears throat> yield yourselves to the Lord and, and enter into his sanctuary which he has sanctified forever and serve the Lord your God that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you Stephen, you know, we've been talking a lot about Stephen. Somehow he's been, been a topic of our uh, messages here of late. Um, Stephen even interrupts his message to rebuke the San Sanhedrin that are standing nearby with the same Philippic. In Acts 7, uh, 51, he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit just as your fathers did, be uh, did, did so before you. Did, uh, as your fathers did, so do you. Now, granted, all of these are negative evaluations involve being stiff-necked and stubborn against God. But truly, stubbornness can be, an, and truly, stubbornness can be a negative uh, aspect, even hostile trait, as anyone who's tried to confront a, a stubborn person, especially one in authority, can attest. For they tend to be obstinate, resistant to change, stuck in their ways, and often stuck in the past, unwilling to consider any way other than their own. There's my way and the highway, effectively. However, stubbornness can be a positive trait as well. Then we call it steadfastness. That's a, that's a change. When we're stubborn for God, we call it steadfastness. That is the sense in which I want to consider it today. Uh, the sense of being moved out of a, uh, of not being able to move out of a position of faith. Okay, uh, before we address steadfastness, though, let's look at another meaning of being moved that often accompanies steadfastness. Passion, being stirred up to take action. 
People who do great things, whether for good or for evil, doesn't matter, uh, are passionate in their endeavors, stirred up with a spirit and moved to action. Now, this need not be some kind of bombastic passion like an Elmer Gantry or Jonathan Edwards, but it does demand an intensity of faith and a strong commitment to it. Consider Stephen, whom we just read about, who remained steadfast, passionate, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be faithful and forgiven, even when being stoned. His message to those on the street was so impassioned that it stirred them up to stone him. Consider Paul. I doubt that there was anyone after Christ who was more passionate in his endeavors. As Saul, he persecuted Christians relentlessly. As Paul, he became the most vocal advocate of Christianity, its most ardent apologist, and its most prolific writer. God can use a passionate man, uh, even if he is not in initially inclined toward him. Uh, indeed, indeed, um, uh, many of the uh, most Im Im effective preachers are often rogues in their youth. Uh, for example, one of the greatest English poets, John Donne, uh, was known as Jake the Rake in his youth, a randy sort of guy, uh, but John the Divine in his maturity. Jonathan Edwards, well known for his fiery sermons and maturity, uh, was quite a randy fellow in his youth. God can use passion for his work, for passion is a manifestation of faith and love. Passion is a manifestation of faith and love. Hebrews uh, 11, verses 7 through 10. This is the faith chapter. Of course, by faith, Noah, having been warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, uh, prepared an ark to, uh, to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And faith, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he was uh, afterward going to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he went. By faith he lived. faith he lived in the land of promise as a stranger uh, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob the heirs of the promise with him for he looked for a city which has foundation whose builder and maker is God the most important thing about passion is that it, uh, the, the thing about uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. the one thing that's kind of odd about passion is that it is not con constant not consistent rather it tends to come in fits and bursts stirred up like a tempest in a teacup only to grow calm again after a short while. So it needs to be rekindled periodically. That's what Paul was trying to do in his uh, letter to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7, <coughs> Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee, by putting, a, a putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Get, get that. 
we do not have the spirit of fear anymore. We have the spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. Recently in our Tuesday night Bible study, we've been working through the epistles of Peter, himself a very passionate man, whose undisciplined passion in his youth placed him in a very precarious situation, but whose controlled passion in his maturity was a source of strength for the early church. Don't you remember Peter's fiery sermon on the day of Pentecost? That was an, an in, inspired sermon driven by the Holy Spirit. And Peter later acknowledged that the power of the, of the message came from the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter, 2, uh, 2 Peter 1, verses 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God who, who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In his epistles, he seems even a bit annoyed at the recipients recipients of his letter for their lackadaisical attitudes and threatens to stir them up whether they want to or not. Second uh, Peter 1 of 12 through 15. I'm reading out of the CEV version here because it is a little clearer what's going on. This actually sounds more like Peter anyway. You are holding firmly to the truth that you were given, but I am still going to remind you of these things. In fact, I think I should keep on reminding you until I leave this body. And our Lord Jesus Christ has already told me that I will leave it soon behind. That is why I'm doing my best to make sure that each of you remembers all that I have after I'm gone. He feels his life slipping away and, and seems concerned that he may not have the time to say all that he needs to say uh, before his end. I know his feeling. Again, in Peter's epistle, the same problem seems to persist. A lack of passion about the glorious gift they had been given. Here Peter seems to be taking on the role of a motivational speaker or a coach trying to rally the team to victory, to remind them of how great a gift they had received. Second Peter 3, uh, 1 through 4. This second epistle, beloved, I now write to you in both, uh, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be uh, mindful of the words that you have spoken before the holy prophets and the commandments of uh, uh, and the commandment of us as the apostles and the Lord our Savior, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, "Where is the promise of his coming? For the fathers fell, uh, the fathers fell asleep, and all things continue as they were from the beginning." Those last days are not going to be nice. For in Matthew 24, we, we read the famous Olivet Prophecy, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to that time no nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there shall be no flesh saved and Moffat as alive. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophet, and they shall show signs and wonders in it so much that if it were possible, and fortunately it is not, they shall deceive the very elect. The soon coming end of days will be a trial and will demand both passion and courage to withstand. It is not a time to be afraid. So how do we conquer fear? Let's get some insight from John as he records the message to the angel of the church at Ephesus. In Revelation 2, verses 2 through 5, he's addressed, this is the annual address to the angel of the church of Ephesus, as I said. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you have 
persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake but have, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. They have lost the passion. Uh, remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen. Repent and do those first works, else I will come, and come to you quickly and remove your lampstake and its place unless you repent. His main criticism of the church of Ephesus is that they are doctrinally strong. While they are doctrinally strong, they have lost that first love. They have forgotten the passion of the gift that they have received. John explains the connection between love and fear uh, in 1 John 4, uh, 17 and 18. And it's not the fear that uh, the young man has uh, the, uh, mustering the courage to go ask the young lady out for a date or something like that. No, this is a different kind of fear. A different kind of connection. In 1 John 4, 17 to 18, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So the passion, the love that we have from that first, of our first experience with uh, being saved casts out the fear. It gives us courage because fear hath torment and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. If we have the uh, passion to cast out fear, then we can have the courage to remain steadfast against our oppressors. Uh, Psalm uh, 112, 6 through 8. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be remembered forever. He shall not be afraid of the bad news. His heart is fixed, trusting in Jehovah. His heart is sure. He shall not be afraid, though he sees his oppressors. In this passage, the assurance, this, it is this passion, this assurance that empowers us with the courage to stand up to the Richard Dawkins of the world and resolutely say, I will not be moved. I will not be moved. No, it is not wrong to be stubborn if we are stubborn for God and his law. Paul punish, uh, admonishes us to be, um, not to be shaken by rumors or fables, but to remain steadfast in what we know to be the truth. 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 15, 58. My dear friends, stand firm and, do, and don't be shaken. Always keep busy working for the Lord. You know that everything you do for him is worthwhile. And in 2 Thessalonians, there's several admonishments Paul makes to all the different churches along the way. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 15 to 17. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions which you were taught, uh, whether by word or our epistle. Now may our Lord uh, Jesus Christ... Okay, um, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our, and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and uh, good hope by grace comfort your heart and establish you in every good work and, and uh, word work it word and work my tank's all tangled up today um, Colossians 1 uh, 21 through 23 and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by by your wicked works yet he now he is reconciled uh, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy through blemish and without charge in his sight if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and settled and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which uh, you have and which Paul has proclaimed 
in all the creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, so, so Paul's sentences go on and on and on forever. That is a long extended if clause, and I looked everywhere for the main clause. I couldn't find it. So uh, I, we'll just leave it in the middle of this. Um, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as from us, as though, as though the day of, of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the... Uh, unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, that is worship, all, uh, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So he says effectively, um, don't be shaken. There's going to be a lot of things that come out. You'll see a lot of uh, 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 false Christ and other uh, come forward. Don't be shaken until you see the actual thing. It's a good thing to say. It's kind of like the, the money that we're supposed to receive as teacher pay raises. I'll believe it when I see it. You know, this sort of thing. So be, be strong. Just keep the faith. Now, brethren, First uh, Thessalonians 2, 1 through 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to gather to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by the spirit or word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Okay, judging from Paul's repeated, repeated exhortation, we find these throughout all of his letters. Uh, uh, his repeated exhortations in his epistles remain faithful and steadfast the early church must have had a severe problem with people becoming disenchanted and falling away apparently they did not have the confidence and the assurance that comes from uh, firmly established doctrine at the personal level rather their faith apparently wavered with, uh, with wavered with the status of the church and the leadership that is to say their religion was political they were not stubborn for God. They were not that stubborn. We need that stubbornness. True religion cannot be political. Rather, it must be built upon the solid rock of Christ, the true cornerstone from whom we all, all get our bearing. All else will fail like a house built upon shifting sand or on an Oklahoma well injection site. Uh, let's and if, if we have that, that lack of faith, I'll close. Uh, it is good to be passionate for the gift that we have received. And we have received this gift, uh, which we did not deserve, but was given to us out of amazing love anyway. It is good to be stubborn and good to be steadfast for God, but hard-headed against the world. So let us raise a, a glass in honor of our king that we may be stirred and not shaken.